Hello, I'm Anthony Scaramucci, and this is Open Book, where I talk with some of the brightest minds out there about everything surrounding the written word, from authors and historians to figures in entertainment, neuroscientists, political activists, and of course, Wall Street. Sorry, I can't resist. Before we get into today's episode, if you haven't already, please hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. We all love a review, even the bad ones. I want to hear the parts you're enjoying or how we can do better. You know, I can roll with the punches, so let me know. Anyways, let's get to it. Retribution and revenge, two words that define Trump's 2024 presidential campaign. Jonathan Carl is a Washington veteran, and he joins me to discuss his new book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party. How has Trump changed since 2015? Where does he stand politically now? What would a Trump 2.0 really look like? And how much time do we have to save the Republican Party and America? Let's see what Jonathan has to say on today's show. So joining us now on Open Book is Jonathan Carl. He's a best-selling author, uh, but he's also an amazing television host. He's the chief Washington correspondent for ABC News. And here's the book, Tired of Winning, which I read the book. I read your other book, too. Your other book was a little bit more painful because, unfortunately, I was in the other book. <laughs> this book is a lot less painful for me, John. Yeah, yeah. But, but first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before I get into the book, I'm dying to ask you a question, sure. uh, which I've actually been dying to ask you for like the last six or seven years. Okay, so you ready? Yep, I'm ready. The first question that I uh, I purposefully asked the CNN correspond at the first question in the Brady press room. So the the afternoon that I got my job and uh, Priebus was trying to stop me from getting it, Bannon was stabbing me in the back all night. Yeah. Uh, Sean Spicer resigned from his job in protest. Uh, But I went to CNN first because they had not been called on in about three months. You may recall that. So purposefully, I did that. My second question was to you. Do you remember what you asked me? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I asked you about something horrible you had said about Trump. Yes, exactly. So you, you, you <laughs> sorry. Listed. I mean, I was just, I was, you know, I was just no, fantastic. Of- this is why this is a great podcast. So you, <laughs> you proceeded to list the things that I said about him. I said he was uh, the president of the Queens Bully Association. <laughs> yes, and yes. I had some great lines that I, when I was zipping Trump working for yeah, Bush. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, don't worry, this is an audio podcast, so nobody can see the shade of red <laughs> that you're going, Jonathan Carl. So that's fine. But you were ripping into me at the podium and I'm a big yeah. boy. So I took it and I yeah, yeah. tried to flip it and spin it. And uh, but I think you question- thanked me for, for reminding everybody of, I of did. the thing. I did. Said. I said, yeah. I'm glad you got that out there because <laughs> rather than having to hear that every day in the office, yeah. uh, of course, I didn't realize I was only going to stay for 11 days, but we got it out of the way. But The question I'm dying to ask you, because you've been around Washington and journalism a long time and you know the nature of the people, Um, it wasn't just me. There was a very large group of people, Mike Pompeo, Ted Cruz, Kellyanne Conway. Um, We could find tapes of, I would say, 50 people that worked in the Trump administration that said nasty things about Donald Trump prior to working in the administration. Uh, And then yet, all of them went into the administration. Some of them came out of the administration not saying anything, but a lot of them returned to the nastiness, myself included. And so I want to ask you this before we get into your book. 
Why did it manifest like that? What is it about human nature, behavior in Washington? What is it about guys like Kevin McCarthy, who absolutely hated Donald Trump and could have put him away lights out on January 7th of 2021, uh, but, but feared him? And now because of his lack of uh, backbone, he lost the speakership and he wasn't able to corral his troops. So, so you tell me, what is it about people? And by the way, it doesn't reflect well on me, right? Because I had an yeah. opinion of him and I said, okay, I sucked it up. Team player went to go work for him, but it was the wrong thing for many of us to do. Why do you think people do that? Well, I think there are, there are a variety of reasons. And this, what I'm about to say, probably does not apply to you. I'm rather certain it wouldn't. But I think that for, for a lot of people, the ones who work for him, um, and the ones who totally flipped when when they did is there was something about getting inside his orbit and the way he, you know, Trump is a guy that can make you feel like you are the king of the world in one moment and the very next, next moment make you feel like you are crap and nothing and worse than nothing, less than nothing. But that he does ha- undoubtedly have that magnetism. And with with the elected officials, I've seen it where they, you know, they, they, they appear at a public event with Trump. They appear at a rally with Trump and they've never seen a crowd like that before um, as riled up and as fired up and as responsive to what they're saying when they're saying something in praise of the dear leader. I, and, and I, you know, I, I saw that over and over again. I mean, I saw, you know, Chuck Grassley, for God's sake, at a rally. You remember there was like a brief like five minutes where it looked like Grassley was going to have a uh, potentially a tough reelection uh, race in 2022. And Trump goes out to uh, Sioux City, not Sioux Falls, by the way, Sioux City. And and, you know, there's Grassley and, and Grassley's been senator, you know, for, you know, for a half century. Yeah, he's like, he's like, for, for viewers <laughs> that don't know who John is talking about, he's George Washington's grandfather. He's <laughs> yeah. 700 years old. Yeah. And he's been in the you Senate know, for like eight. 800 of the 700 years, right? We both know that. And he's he's like, he's, I mean, the guy's a farmer and he's been, he's been elected over and over and over and over and over again. And, and, and and he's, you know, he's, he makes, he makes Joe Biden look like a young man, but for him to walk out on that stage with, with Trump, I mean, suddenly, and Grassley's not a Trump guy at all. Right. Uh, But you know, there it is. And suddenly he's, You know, so I I have my own view. I think that, you know, for me, and by the way, my wife hates Trump almost as much as Melania hates him. So, you know, that's a very high standard of hatred. (laughs) Wow. That is something. It It almost got me divorced. Uh, and, but I did it for ego-based reasons, ultimately. So if I'm, if I'm being honest, again, doesn't reflect well on me. And I had this conversation with Robert Greene, uh, who was on our show about three months ago, celebrating the 25th anniversary of the 48 Laws of Power. Uh, a lot of it's ego-based, unfortunately. And so so we're here now. This is a great book, Tired of Winning. It, it picks up from where betrayal ended. And by the way, this would be a phenomenal miniseries. I don't know if that's something in the works or not, because both these books are, uh, they read as uh, political thrillers would read. You want to turn the page to the next page. Even though I know the story, you are providing insight that none of us actually saw even when we were on the ground. Um, Did you think that Donald Trump would end up consuming this much of your time back when you were covering him? You know, I mean, absolutely not. And, and remember, I I had covered him when I was a New York Post reporter in the 1990s. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he was the kind of guy you could call on a slow news day, <laughs> you know, and hey, what do you think of something? And you get some kind of a story. He was always willing to play ball, um, never really took him particularly serious, except as kind of, uh, you know, an entertaining sideshow. So I, I certainly didn't think that. And then as I was covering his campaign, and I did the first network interview with him of the 2016 cycle. I did the interview actually in 2013, August of 2013, when he made uh, 
uh, you know, a trip to Iowa and he spoke at the, the, the leader conference with, you know, I think it was Vanderplatz and that whole crowd of evangelicals was not particularly well received. At that point, Ted Cruz was the, you know, seemed to be the guy. But I did an interview with him out there and, and you know, and, and, I, and we, I remember we, we were trying to figure out, should we do the interview? And if we do, where do we put it in the show? And, you know, we, we ended up doing it for five minutes in the second half of the show. This is our Sunday show, you know, this week, and it was a slow August. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I did not think that that this was going to be anything like this that, you know, I mean, frankly, I didn't think he was going to end up at the White House. But then, you know, when I wrote Betrayal, I, I really felt that would be the last thing I would ever write about Donald Trump. There's so much to write. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is this is such a colorful story. There's a, a Greek tragedy in this story. Yep. Um, uh, is a is America, and I mean the nation. Is the is America a protagonist in this story? And and what I what I mean by that is, uh, uh, are we tired of winning? Are are we going to defeat Donald Trump uh, in 2024? I, I mean, I t- this is this is something I address. In, in the book, um, as I try to conclude after I tell the story of, of Trump's final weeks in office, because there was so much information that, that, that has come out and that I was able to learn beyond what I had done even in betrayal. You know, part of it, all the sworn testimony from the January 6th committee that had not seen light. I mean, still, this is the first time a lot of that stuff had seen light, but also those, what I call the dark days in Mar-a-Lago when I guess now we we hear from Liz Cheney, Kevin wasn't, I mean, you know, he, Kevin was concerned that, uh, that Trump wasn't even eating, uh, but, but he was a depressed mess uh, who found um, some solace in becoming a uh, an amateur DJ on the patio there at uh, at Mar-a-Lago. This did not seem like a guy uh, that was in in any way uh, making a comeback. But 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 the question is why the appeal? Why did he he come back? Is it real? I mean, I go through at some length how the Republican Party and Donald Trump himself have actually been doing nothing but losing since 2016. I mean, all the, you know, the, the, the off-year elections, the midterm elections, the special elections, the runoff elections where Republicans close to Trump either have just simply lost or wildly un- underperformed uh, and where Trump himself obviously lost in, 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 in 2020 and, and didn't just lose the, the election. I mean, and, and, and the massive loss in the popular vote, which was much greater than the loss in the Electoral College, but all those losses in court, the, all those losses in his efforts to try to get Congress to, to overturn the results, his failed attempt to get his vice president to do something, his failed to attempt to pressure local Republicans in Georgia and Arizona and, and, and Michigan and Pennsylvania uh, to do something. I mean, this guy's, I mean, Anthony, I, I had been, I had, a, I had a working title for this book when I first started uh, working on it, which was The Biggest Loser. But then something really strange happened. Uh, he ends up becoming, once again, the dominant figure in the Republican Party while I'm working on this book. And and so that's the big question. Is America tired of this kind of of, of winning? That's the question. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out myself. I mean, when I finished your book, I you know, one of the things I take pride in on open book is I, I read the book that the author uh, writes because it's important for me. This way I can have a real conversation with you. When I finished your book, I closed the book. Uh, the first thing that came to mind for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, he's, he's actually Al Capone. 
Uh, and let me let me explain why it feels like he's not going to get caught. If you remember the movie The Untouchables, Mr. Capone was an untouchable. Uh, John Gotti, who I grew up with, uh, his kids who out here, uh, you know, on Long Island. I mean, I'm talking to you from the city, but they're all from Long Island. I know John Jr. Uh, the father was perceived to be Teflon Don. He was never going to be going to jail. He died in jail. And I guess my question to you, after reading the evidentiary information that you're providing in this book about the culpability of Donald Trump in so many different forms, and I just remind viewers and listeners, there are four grand jury indictments, 91 counts of uh, accusations uh, being made against him. And yes, there's 20% of the people that still like him, but is the government going to bring him down in 2024? Or is this mystery that the media talks about that he is the the true Teflon Don? I, I, I think that he, I think you're, you're 20% by the way, is, uh, is, is the key thing to focus on. There is about 20% of the country, that might even be a generous number, that, that is totally and completely uh, with him. This is the shoot him on Fifth Avenue crowd. Uh, yes, no um, question. You know. Yeah, we agree. But but there but there's a much bigger group that perhaps, you know, got completely sick of all things Donald Trump. And when he left, kind of stopped paying attention to him. And now we're back, we're approaching another another election and there's kind of a superficial, am I better off now than I was four years ago kind of feeling. Um, and, you know, people think back to 2019, you know, um, uh, Donald Trump was president. The world looked a lot more peaceful. Inflation was low. The economy felt pretty good. Um, and so I think, I, think, I think that a lot of it is like an appeal to that and they haven't really paid any attention to, first of all, memories have faded of, of what happened in 2020 and early 2021. And and people haven't focused on what the guy actually stands for, especially now, which I think is a darker a darker Donald Trump than we saw even in the American carnage days. Um, and even, you know, when, when you were uh, at the White House, I think this is a, this is why I wrote the book. I mean, this is really why I wrote the book is I wanted to, to have a very concise and powerful statement and and presentation of facts, including a lot of new reporting about what it was really like at the end of that presidency and what it could be like now based on, you know, how how he has evolved and most importantly, the people that have fled him. So, uh, you know, look, I... I, I I think there's still I'm I'm one of the few people out there that still thinks there's a chance he could lose the Republican nomination. Um, that may be a slimmer and slimmer chance as as we get closer to Iowa, but I don't think that's impossible. And and I and I I don't think that there's a mass movement out there to to uh, you know to bring back Donald Trump to power. Okay, another observation from your book. I think I feel like if Huey Long had a baby with Charles Lindbergh and the baby was born and adopted by Roy Cohn, that would be Donald Trump. Okay, so you have this uh, manifestation of isolationist tendencies, manifestation of white supremacy. Uh, He is a descendant of the first America First movement. Yep. Uh, And then he has that sort of evilness that Roy had, uh, which we all remember uh, living here in New York, how treacherous Roy Cohn was. I guess my question, and this, my, this is an observation, did he make the Republican Party 
and remolded in his image? Or was the clay already out there uh, and they they drew to him once he started spitting his invective? There are a lot of people that have made the argument that the clay was out there. Uh, Dana Milbank uh, wrote a whole book about this, like, you know, the uh, looking at, at at the Republican Party laying the groundwork for, for Trumpism and spending a lot of time in the Gingrich era, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there, there are some arguments there. I, I just think it's different. <laughs> I think that um, Donald Trump is not in any way a conventional conservative Republican or what they used to call like the movement conservatives. Um, He is all about himself. Um, When he's talking about retribution and he's talking about making a war on the deep state, he's talking about making war on people that he views as his enemies, his personal enemies. As you know, in the book, I spend a lot of time talking about the imagery of Waco, Texas as the first as the location of the first campaign rally and the language, much of it, I think Bannon um, inspired of, of, of talking about, you know, rooting out and utterly destroying the people within our government that are our enemies, our domestic enemies, um, the people that are out to get us, the ordinary citizens. This is all the language of the militia movement that we saw in the, in the 1990s that inspired Timothy McVeigh to load up a uh, U-Haul truck through a full of, uh, you know, fertilizer and to bomb the, uh, the, the federal building in Oklahoma City. And he did that largely because of the federal overreach uh, that we saw result in 80 plus people dying in Waco, Texas. And here Donald Trump is echoing the same language, except now the complaint isn't, um, you know, that the federal federal authorities vastly screwed up in, you know, when they went after the Branch Davidians, which they did. It's that the federal authorities like are are coming after classified documents that I pilfered from the White House, um, that I'm being prosecuted for <laughs> paying off a porn star. I mean, it's all him. These are not real grievances. But it makes you wonder though, right, John? I mean, you're, you've been doing this again a long time. You've traveled the country uh, covering campaigns. You interview people from many different states, lots of swing states. Um, what happened to the country? You know, my, my observation uh, was that, and I, and again, doesn't reflect well on me because I blew up in a blue collar neighborhood, but I feel that I was in an aspirational blue collar neighborhood. My parents thought their kids were going to go to college and live the American dream. When I traveled with Mr. Trump, before he was president, so we'll call him Mr. Trump to date it, uh, 71 campaign stops with the Trump plane in and out of places, Rust Belt states, swing states. These people felt economically desperational. They felt like the establishment oh, yeah. had left them out. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so now a result of which he's their last best hope, I guess. Why can't the establishment see that? Why isn't the established? These are people, John, that voted for Lyndon Johnson or their grandparents or yeah. great grandparents voted for FDR. Why is it that neither party, whether it's my old party, the Republican Party, before this reconfiguration, or the Democrats are not getting what Trump is laying down, which is so obvious now? after seven years of observing it. Yeah. And when I say the grievances aren't real, I'm talking about the deep state being out to get you and they're trying yeah, to like, the you conspiracies. know. No, I know that. I'm talking about that stuff. But yes. but in terms of uh, there are a hell of a lot of people out there who feel left behind or betrayed by the political system, by Democrats and by Republicans. And yes, these are, you know, the people that voted Democratic. These are the, these are the Democrats that voted for Reagan in 1980. These are you know, people who look at the vast creation of wealth 
uh, and look at their own lives and see that it's entirely passed them by. And they also see themselves talked down to uh, by elites. Um, they see, you know, and, and, and a lot of it plays into the culture stuff, of course, uh, you know, poor or middle class whites who get blamed for all order of things uh, and, and told that they are privileged uh, because of, 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 of their race. And so it was a it was very fertile ground for Trump to tap into. And when you were on the plane with him going around in 2016, I mean, I think that a big part of the appeal there was the image that Trump had successfully created for himself, by the way, before he got into politics, long before he got into politics, which I'm the guy. I mean, I'm like the biggest, the richest, the best. I like, I've developed the best thing, the, the greatest, the, you know, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to do it for you now. I'm going to do it for the country. Um, I'm going to bring in the greatest minds. I'm going to bring in the Anthony Scaramucci's. I'm going to, I'm going to bring in the top, the ruthless negotiators from Wall Street and I'm going to have them negotiate for our country. I mean, it was, you know, th- there was never much to it in reality, but the appeal to it was obvious. Um, and, and then, you know, when Republicans finally got around to kind of criticizing him and taking him on in that primary, uh, you know, for too long, they didn't, they tried to ignore him because they thought he would disappear. You know, one of the first attacks from Marco was, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a fraud as a business guy. He's not really successful. And, you know, Republican voters looking, wait, you mean the guy that's like given helicopter rides at the, at the Iowa state fair? You mean the guy that just arrived on his own jet? It says Trump on it. And you, you know, Marco, who's like struggling to pay off your, your, college uh, debt, you're saying this guy's not successful? Right. It, it didn't land. And 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 right. he, you know, that was the appeal. But that that's a very different message than what he's saying now. Don't you think? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill introducing wondersuite from bluehost.com the tool that makes wordpress wonderful for everyone website creation is hard but now with bluehost you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals and the wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your wordpress website or store in minutes seriously From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
I I do. I mean, I, this is the thing I don't understand. Like, you know, I obviously friends with Governor Christie. I know he worked at ABC for a while. Uh, I've supported Governor Christie, full disclosure. I've given money to the PAC, given money to the campaign. I don't know why Chris doesn't say, hey, I understand why he's appealing to you. However, I would like to offer you a different alternative. It's my job to have you not um, unselect Trump, but to pr- put me in the number one position versus him. He's not doing that. He's bashing Trump all day. And when when you bash Trump to that 15% of the people, they feel like you're bashing them. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and I think that's a mistake Chris is making, but, you know, that's the campaign that he wants to run. You are saying something else, which I find super fascinating. Uh, and I want you to explain this to our viewers and listeners. You say that Trump is undercovered. And uh, and I actually think it's true. He has the smallest campaign staff of any front runner in history. Yet he's still dominant. Uh, Tell us what you mean by that statement and why it matters. After he left the White House, first of all, he's off Twitter. Um, You know, Fox for for a long period seemed to almost pretend like he didn't exist. He certainly wasn't being interviewed. Um, The way he was covered in much of the rest of the, you know, I mean, I, I hate to talk about the media as, as one big monolith, but but by many news organizations, mm-hmm. uh, was was it first to cover the impeachment trial, which was not covering you know him per se. It was it was covering the the the, the prosecution of of what he had done and his culpability for January sixth. Go forward into the following year, and there's there's coverage of the formation of the January sixth committee, the January sixth committee's uh, uh, hearings, and then eventually the, the the criminal prosecutions. These things get covered a lot. I'm not saying that there's not coverage of that. But what there's been very little coverage of, I think, until recently, and hopefully my book has helped spur some of this, is what's the guy actually been doing since he left the White House? What who's who's around him anymore? And what are they talking about? What is he, you know, what would he actually be like if he came back to the White House? No, there's like coverage of the civil case against his business where he, he again today he was there and you know sitting in court, you know, what what's Jack Smith's latest thing? But but what so that's why I tried to dive into the guy's mindset and what I found was a deeply paranoid and uh, conspiracy-minded individual uh, who looked nothing like even a former president or a potential future president, looked like somebody that was stuck in this world of the far fringe, um, believing some of the most wacky uh, conspiracy theories and surrounded by almost entirely, you know, people that are total sycophants who are there Mm -hmm. just to tell him how great he is. See, it's interesting because I know a lot of the people on his campaign. I get I'm interested in your reaction. It's a small group, but there's some talented people in this campaign. Yeah, there, you know, there and, are. That, and that scares me, by the way, because it's not just sycophants. These are uh, deep state uh, delayering the administrative yep. state expansion of executive power, uh, but effective and you, smart you, people. You know, these are like uh, less crazy people than Bannon, but equally targeted. If that makes any sense, it's it, it's fascinating. You have kind of two groups of people. You have the people that I just described, the kind of yep. like way out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, veterans of uh, OAN, you know, One American mm-hmm. News, uh, yes. um, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and, and and by the way, Bannon as well. Bannon's not actually on the campaign, but Bannon, I think, is a very much a, 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 a an influence, maybe even more important than he was uh, going into uh, 2016 and 2017. Um, 
because it's Bannon's agenda. It really is insofar as there is an agenda besides I want to go and kill all my enemies. But then you have this very small group of operatives and you know who they are. It's people yep. like Susie Wiles, Chris LaCivita, Brian Jack, Jason, Jason Miller. Miller. Yep. Um, and by the way, that's kind of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's a really small group. But they're talented, John. You, you they, and I they, both they know are, those they are people. Absolutely talented. And, and you know their effect. And 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 there, it's a smaller group than was around him even in 2016, which was a very small uh, right. campaign. But and and by the way, there's one strength they have over 2016, and that is they aren't trying to kill each other. There's no infighting that you hear of coming out of the. I mean, they they they, they are on the agenda. They're doing their things, and they've 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 already been methodically going through uh, trying to game out the primary system, trying to influence the rules in each of the primary states uh, to, to Trump's benefit. They've done this in Nevada, where you have this weird system where there's going to be a caucus that's actually going to award the delegates and a primary where people are going to vote. Um, all the states that are becoming winner take all because Trump knows, they know, they believe Trump can, can get 35, 40% uh, and, and come in first place. And they don't want mm-hmm. anybody else getting pieces of delegates for coming in second or third. Um, so yes, they, they are, but, but you know, these are, these are not actually the people that Trump is spending most of his day with. Um, actually there's another factor and I'd like your thoughts on this too, Mm -hmm. but this was something that was pointed out to me, uh, by somebody who was there then and is not on the campaign now, but is still in that orbit and still very sympathetic to, uh, you know, very much on the Trump team pointing out that, you know, he never really he didn't play much golf in uh, in 2016. He still plays golf like almost every day. And he's doing a campaign rally every once in a while. I mean, he started to step it up a little bit, but he has spent more time since the beginning of October sitting in that courtroom in New York on the civil trial against his company than he has at actual campaign rallies. I mean, he was working it when you were, I mean, you just described yeah, all well, the events. He, he was were. working it, but he wasn't a former president and he doesn't. Yep. he's currying the sympathy from these hard right yep. conspiracies theorists that think this is a witch hunt, they leave out that Mark Meadows, who was an arch conservative and a member of the Freedom Caucus or the founder of it, frankly, uh, is coming after him now too. All right. Well, I, I, uh, you've been very generous with your time. I have five words I always present to my authors before I allow them to depart. And so you can react to these words any way you'd like, a sentence, a word. Okay. Uh, just sort of a Russia test here. I'm going to start with the word Republican. Troubled. Troubled. Okay. Democrat. Troubled. I'm, I'm sorry. I might have yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, I actually think the best thing the Republicans yeah. have going for them are the, the Democrats. Democrats, by yeah. the way. D- Democrats are, I mean, we, we haven't talked about that. Democrats have, yeah. Yeah. Right. They've squandered this opportunity to be sure a generational, have. a Rooseveltian generational force. Uh, 2016. Uh, a, a, a black swan event, um, a something that was nearly impossible to anticipate. Right. Um, and um, something highly unlikely to be replicated. 2024. Everything is at stake. I mean, and and Anthony, <laughs> I've been covering presidential elections. I've, I've, I've had the great privilege to have been covering presidential elections in one way or another since 1992. And every time you see people come out, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Well, guess what? This one actually is. Right. Well, it feels that way to me. I say yeah. the word Trump. You think of what? I I I, I think of betrayal uh, because I, and and I I don't yeah I can't quite comprehend the one thing I can't really comprehend is how 
somebody could set out to destroy the way he has the very system that made it possible for him to be president of the United States. Right. And the, and the system that made his parents and everyone so on and so forth very successful. Yes. I mean, it's why would you do that? This is this is the I greatest country in the world and it has served you beyond your wildest dreams. Jonathan Carl, last question. You ready? Are yeah. the Mets going to make the playoffs next year? I didn't say win the World Series. Are they going to make the playoffs? Uh, I'm I'm always an optimist. I'm going to say yes. Are you one of those type of Mets fans? Okay. Yes, yes. And great to be with you. Great to be with you. And by the way, my daughter Anna was 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 in the room when you had your once one glorious live press conference in that briefing room, and she was there. Uh, the day uh, you were you were hired because she was she was kind of shadowing me that just happened to be for a week so she was right. there for you know for two thirds uh, at see least of federal career see that I, I mean, mean I mean my God and 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 she got she was with me during that day your first day on the job where Sean Spicer slammed the door in my face twice once yeah. in the morning and once in the evening yeah. both times my daughter was right by my side so yeah he wasn't happy with me Sean but Rice yeah. wasn't happy with me either you know he he still <laughs> runs for me you know uh, you'll enjoy this story the Wall Street Journal had a picture of me and Rice in a stare down in the Oval Office on the front page yeah. well the journalist won some kind of reward the photographer so he sent me the the picture to uh, autograph so of course I did you know it's sort of like Ralph Branca and Bobby Thompson with yeah. the home run you know what I mean or yeah, Mookie yeah. Wilson and Bill yeah, Barton, right? Right, right. But yeah. Reince, Reince is such a baby, he wouldn't sign the picture. Come know, I just on, Reince, oh, sign come the on. picture. Come you on. Know, he's such a baby. But as I've said to Reince and Bannon, anytime you guys want to share a stage with me, uh, any place, anywhere, you pick the moderator. Uh, we could have a little tangle together, you know. Well, let's do that. I'll be the moderator. Just uh, offer it up. Say, I hey, hey, let's the, do it. Hey, let's the mooch is available. If you want to. By the way, Bannon would do it in a heartbeat. Bannon will do it in a heartbeat. He will not so. do it. He will not do it. I've offered. Really? I even offered to pay him at the SALT conference. If you want to try him again on the future okay. of the democracy and the country, uh, you, me, and him, and we can do it any in any venue that he wants, uh, that would be a lot of fun. Okay. He wrote a I mean, hell of a I'll, book. I'll, and thank you for leaving my name out of this book this time, <laughs> Jonathan Carl. Hey, you were in there enough before, man. <laughs> right. But you know, you know I'm a good sport. And uh, yeah. you can't go into politics without taking a beating. And so I'm all good. And uh, I appreciate you coming on today. And I appreciate our friendship. And, and thank you for joining us at Open Book. Great. Thank you. Take care. Well, I enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I love the fact that Jonathan Carl, who interviews so many people, remembers the first question that he asked me from the White House. And of course, I made him turn red because he was literally trying to destroy me that day, uh, which most journalists, I mean, I guess that's their job, right? Uh, But he knows Trump and he's right about Trump. Uh, He sees the full aura of what Trump represents. I guess what I often wonder about is why the Trump supporters don't see that and why they don't come to their senses and recognize that they get many of the same policies they like without the additional craziness and the distorted, weird behavior that happens in and around Donald Trump. All eligible voters should be reading this book. Uh, In order to save the GOP, we need a strong backbone leader. I'll submit to everybody on this podcast that Kevin McCarthy had the opportunity with Mitch McConnell to put Donald Trump away on the 7th of January after the insurrection. He was still president. 
He had 13 days to go in his presidency. They could have commenced a impeachment proceeding. They certainly wouldn't have gotten all the Republicans, but they would have gotten enough Republicans alongside of Democrats to knock Trump out of the political scene for life. Uh, And we'd be in a much better situation if they had done that. And so we have a combination of weak leadership and bullying going on. We have a very dissatisfied America with the elected officials. So we'll have to see what happens. I don't like Trump's odds, though. I do think he's the Al Capone of uh, the political scene. I do think people think he's untouchable. But like Capone, who was once untouchable, he was brought down by the federal government. And I think that day of truth is coming for Donald Trump. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the interview and go out and buy Jonathan Carl's book. Anthony. Ma, you there? All right, you got a minute to come on the show or no? Yeah, of course. But do you know who this is, Ma? What do you mean, do I know who this is? Well, I don't know. Sometimes you call me like out of the blue and you're like, Sadell, Sadell. I mean, I don't know. I'm asking. Do you know who it is? Yes, it's my son, Anthony. Okay, I'm just checking on on him, Ma. My producer says I'm by far your favorite. Okay, so don't tell Susan or David, my sister Susan or David, what she says, but she says, I am by far your favorite. (laughs) You're so nuts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, Ma, let me let me talk to you about Donald Trump for a second. What are your memories of the 2016 election? Do you remember the day that you took the picture with him or no? Yes, I, I thought he was very nice on, on that day. He was actually, right? He was very yeah, nice. Very, he very was, nice. Yeah, he, has a, he can be charming and he can be very nice. But do you remember what happened that day, Ma? We couldn't get anybody to go to the fundraiser. Of course, this was the middle of the summer at Cipriani's on 42nd Street. And so right. we, had, we had every Scaramucci in the picture, right? I was just getting bodies off the street, right? Calling people in the phone book saying, you got to come to the fundraiser, right? Right. And he was pissed. Like you were he, very instrumental, instrumental with him and you helped him become president. And then when you were in trouble with that stupid Lizza, right. he he didn't stick up for you because he was threatened by the way you speak. All right, Ma. All right. You always go there. I know you love me, but let's go back to 2016. What are some of your memories of that election? Did you think he was going to win? Yes, he has a certain demeanor and uh, he looks strong and people, he says things out of, out of context and he, uh, some, a lot of people like that. Okay. All right. Let me ask you this question, Ma. Do you think he's good for the Republican Party today? It's 2023. Do you think he's good for the Republican Party now? Uh, I think he's done a lot of damage. I, I don't. I don't think so. I don't know. Okay. I, don't, I would say not. Not. Okay. So how has he damaged it? So what do you what do you think the damage is that he's done? Well, I think that the people are trying to get him out of there for sure, mm-hmm. and they keep uh, saying he did this, he did that. And it makes the common people want to vote for him, but the intellects, I think it's a terrible way of putting it, are uh, more skeptical that he could destroy the country. All right. Well, yeah, you know, I super worry about that because he's not a fan of the democracy. Well, let me ask you this, okay? My guest today that I interviewed said that Trump is running for revenge. Do you think he's running for revenge? No. Why do you think he's running? I I think he likes the glamour of it. He likes the glamour. He likes the spotlight, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Is revenge a bad thing, Ma? Yes. Okay. But tell I, me why. I, very reject- I have that in me. I, I do profess it because uh, I know what it's all about. Yes, I have revenge on people that really hurt. Yes. Right. Right. So you like getting revenge, right? 
right? Yes, Reve- I do, revenge is. And I've had uh, a few hurts, and I've seen people get revenge. Okay, you've seen you've seen yourself get back at people that have hurt you, is what you're saying? Without even doing anything, I think God takes over. Okay, you mean just bad karma? They 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 end up getting yes. hurt through bad karma. But I will tell you. So you, you think that's gonna? My father. All right, go ahead. I'll give you a quote that my father told me. He told me that God doesn't pay on a Friday. He's not a merchant. He pays whenever he can. And guess what? It happened. Okay, so so you believe that there's karma. And that people that do bad things, they eventually get it. You think that Trump will get some of the bad karma that he's put out there? Uh, yes, I do. You do? Yes. All right. I think that he was very uh, shaken when you, uh, on the 11th day that you were in the White House, and he should have defended you as the president of the United States because you helped him win. And I think he was very small to do that, but I also think he was threatened over your intellect. All right. You love me, Ma, and I appreciate that. Can I speak correctly, though? Yeah, always, Ma. You always do. I mean, mean, they want to hear from you more than me. Let's face it. All right? Uh, I love you, baby. I love you, too, Ma. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and that was Open Book. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. While you're there, please leave us a rating or review. If you want to connect with me or chat more about the discussions, it's at Scaramucci on Twitter or Instagram. You can also text me at plus one nine one seven nine oh nine two nine nine six. I'd love to hear from you. I'll see you back here next week.